This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I am here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With Rebecca Ford. Hi. With David Canfield. Hi. And it's the week after the Oscars, and Joe Reed is here, and I think everyone knows what that means. Joe, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me again. Um, So you may be guessing, because Joe is here and the Oscars are over, that we are going to talk about the 2023 (laughs) Oscars. Yay! Um, And this year, there is more than the usual amount of post-Oscar discourse, much of which I think we are eager to move away from. We will talk more about the Oscars and the ongoing controversy and meetings at the Academy and all of that. I promise we will get there. We're going to do the 2023 Oscars first, both because we're excited to turn the page a little bit and because, um, you know, the situation with Will Smith and the Academy is developing and we want to wait a little bit and see what happens. Um, So we'll get there. And there's continuing reporting on VF.com. You can follow us. You can talk to us about it on Twitter. But today we're going to talk about the 2023 Oscars and I'm ready to move on. How about you guys? Oh, oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yep. It's not as bad as it was last year, I think, when it was uh, uh, May, when we did our uh, right. Oscars preview episode. Um, and the year before that, we put out our um, Looking Forward episode on something like March 10th, 2020. Real fascinating timing to try to predict the future. Um, so as usual, we will start by looking back at last year. Brett, our producer, has uh, picked clips from last year of our bold predictions looking ahead. Um, so first of all, let's go see how we did. Let's hear that first clip. Opens with dance off. And then as the two warring dancer tribes of dancers part, House of Gucci nominee Lady Gaga walks center <laughs> stage. <laughs> Richard, why right. didn't they? Why didn't they listen to you? <laughs> well, because uh, well, as the as the broadcast b- borne out, they didn't listen to a lot of good suggestions. Um, yeah, that, I, I believe that I was talking about in the Heights and West Side Story. If yes. memory serves me, right? Yeah, right. We, we spent a lot of time talking about that, and had spent a lot of time talking about them in 2020, of course, because they were supposed to come out that year. So we were really amped for those two. Right, right. Um, Lady Gaga did kind of have a seize part moment at the end, you know, she with did. Liza Minnelli. So. The vision in my head was was hazy, so I, I, I was wrong about the nomination, but I was right about the grand. Your crystal Gaga ball entrance. was uh, was just not quite clear enough as you wanted it to be. Exactly. Um, well, we talked more about Lady Gaga in our in our next clip. So let's get there. I think two Ridley Scott movies with big sort of high profile casts. Those are interesting, although. Ridley Scott being a multiple-time Oscar nominee and obviously Gladiator has won Best Picture, we also tend to forget that, like, he misses kind of as often as he hits these days. Mm -hmm. 
Well done, Joe. Uh, yeah, although weird, like, who could have ever predicted, certainly I couldn't have, that I would have ended up loving The Last Duel as much as I did <laughs> um, and would have been, you know, kind of kind of sad that it ended up missing. But yeah, I was, I as not to get too ahead of ourselves, but as I was looking through the upcoming slate of movies, I was like, once again, I was like, do I fall into the Ridley Scott trap yet again? <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Um, David and Rebecca, when we recorded this episode last year, I think that first image from House of Gucci with uh, Gaga and Adam Driver in their, in their ski gear had just come out and we were all so dazzled by it. Do you remember remember feeling the same way about Hasaguchi uh, spring 2021? Oh, yeah. I was fully on the 12 nominations, four acting nominations train <laughs> at that point. Um, I think what a good I train to have been on. <laughs> it was a fun train. It was a fun yeah. train. It was, it was nice while it lasted. Well, even up until nomination morning, like the fact that it only got one, it just could have, seems like it was just on the precipice of getting like five. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it really could have teetered either way. Yeah. yeah, Jared Leto and Lady Gaga easily could have been in that lineup. Jared Leto, not a presenter at the Oscars. What a missed opportunity. He could have been yeah. with, a, I don't know, Russ Hamlin, whoever. That's, whoever that's what that star. night needed was more Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear the next clip. I remain curious about where this Ben Affleck narrative is going to take us. Like, Ben Affleck is getting more attention now than he has in, like, 20 years, maybe, uh, for hanging out with J-Lo and, you know, his year of walks with Ana So, like... He's got deep water coming. He's got the last duel coming. Like, I don't know. So what I didn't mention there and we did later was the tender bar, which, Joe, you went really um, hard on as a potential narrative for Ben Affleck. Why didn't that ever go anywhere? I Well, as somebody who talked about it a lot and then never saw it this year, I feel like I was probably <laughs> exemplary of the problem, which was once the movie sort of came out and the reviews were really tepid, like tepid to negative, and... Because it came out towards the end of the year, just like as a triage measure, I was like, well, this is going to the bottom of my list because I think he got the Golden Globe nomination, but like this year, the Golden Globes didn't really mean anything. And I don't know, George Clooney movies tend to not be events, obviously, uh, these days. And I don't know. And the other thing was people so on like on balance kind of really enjoyed his performance in The Last Duel, but all kind of agreed that like, well, it'll never happen. Like a nomination for that kind for that performance will never happen. Although, wouldn't it be great if it if it you know could have? We didn't keep the faith enough. I know. I do remember there was a moment this season where it felt like there was going to be a, a Ben Affleck push, and then it just like quickly faded. <laughs> like it was yeah. like a week where I thought, okay, maybe this is going to happen, and then yeah. it was gone. Yeah, it was early. Is that maybe because Amazon is sort of infamously bad at campaigning? You know, because they had the tender bar, right? Um, yeah, they got J.K. Simmons in instead. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. I take it back. You're right. They just didn't put it into the that movie, which they should have because he's great in it. It's really hard now for a supporting nominee to stand on their own. This year, I think all 10 supporting acting nominees uh, were not the only representatives of their film. And you saw Jesse Plemons get in on the power wave. And last year, you saw Lakeith Stanfield surprise for Judas. And that seems to be the trend, whereas like a Ruth Nega or a Ben Affleck, uh, even if they have a lot of individual acclaim, if they're the only narrative for that movie, it's yeah. really hard to make it through. Whereas in Best Actress, it was like all people. Oh, lead acting <laughs> categories is a whole other ballgame. It's a whole other ballgame. Um, well, we should actually, lead acting categories leads us well into our next clip. Another narrative, if you're looking for it, is Denzel Washington, who is in um, the Joel Cohen-directed The Tragedy of Macbeth opposite 
brand new three-time Oscar winner, uh, Francis McDormand. Uh, Denzel <laughs> is playing Macbeth. And then he's also directing. So exciting. Oh, I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited for that. But then he's also got a movie he's directing coming out with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I I clipped this mostly for that mention of the movie that I believe was called A Journal for Jordan came out in December and doesn't exist. Like, did any of us see this movie? I remember for my other job, I uh, watched The View as, out of necessity, unfortunately. Um, and he was, Michael B. Jordan was on, and all of a sudden I realized that he's promoting this movie, and I realized that I had totally forgotten that this movie was happening and had no idea that it was actually coming out. And it was like the quietest release of a film from a major actor-director maybe I've ever heard of. Like, it's crazy to me that it was such a non-event. So none of us, none of us saw it. Is what we're, yeah, <laughs> what we're landing in. I cannot comment on whether it was deserved or not. That Macbeth nomination, though, it was, he did. It was, wor- yeah. it was worthy. It was a good one. Right. Betting on um, Denzel is a good bet. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, okay, next clip. I don't know how Oscar it is, given how genre it might be, but Guillermo del Toro has Nightmare Alley, which I think is still filming or just fil- <laughs> finished filming. What? I'm so sorry. I I just have to laugh because. Joe's description here begins with the three words "an ambitious carny," and I have <laughs> I have texted that to Joe twice in the last twenty four hours. Just Pulled that directly phrase. from IMDb. <laughs> I cannot take credit for just that, that phrase. Yes. An ambitious carny. So that's our first appearance of Joanna Robinson, our dearly departed Joanna Robinson. On this, you'll hear from her again, but. Um... I, I totally forgot about an ambitious carny. Clearly, a nightmare alley took me by surprise at the end of the year, so I need to pay more attention. Uh, well, well done flagging it for us, Joe and Richard. We had had the whole ambitious carny conversation on that episode, and I still was sort of surprised when I saw the movie. I was like, "Oh, this is all about Bradley Cooper." Yeah, <laughs> like, as an ambitious carny. Yeah, I, but I, I, for some reason, I had been like Kate Blanchett and Rudy Mara. Like, it's about them. It right? Not. <laughs> no. That's it. That seems like it's more about your biases than anything else. Well, I have, yeah, I have strong anti carny biases for obvious <laughs> personal history reasons. Um, okay, let's, let's do another one. And then I'm interested in this Kenneth Branagh film, Belfast. Me too. I had that. That's definitely one I have my eye on. Yeah. Good job, Joe. I will say, I will take credit that from very early on, I was like, Judy Dutch is going to get a nomination for this, if nothing else. And. <laughs> That hunch, at least, was borne out uh, among others. Did you keep that prediction on along, or did you? Oh God, no, no. But okay. still, <laughs> I, didn't, I, I still want credit for saying it early on. No, she dropped <laughs> off of my list just like she dropped off of everybody else's list. But once upon a time, I was right. I mean, like Denzel Washington, you don't go wrong betting on Judy Dench most of the time. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. Let's hear about another um, strong bet from the past. There's a PTA movie this year, obviously, Soggy Bottom, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, 1970 San Fernando Valley, um, that I'm that I'm kind of excited about. Can Soggy we can we talk? Bottom. Can we do well how about this movie starring Bradley Cooper and Benny Safdie? Like why were right? those the two names? <laughs> we had no uh, idea. I know. Well, like the fact that it even had a title was kind of surprising at that point. Um, like, I don't think I realized how much of a COVID production it was, although, like, obviously it was at that point. It was such a mystery. Well, and Paul Thomas Anderson, notorious for, like, waiting till the last second to title his movies anyway. I remember Phantom Thread was untitled forever, I feel like. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, soggy bottom. Makes as much sense as licorice pizza, actually. Absolutely. The funny thing is, if we had had that conversation then and it had been like, oh, Alana Haim from that band is going to be the lead in a PTA movie, I'd been like, oh, that's going to be one of his little weirdo inherent vice curios. That won't have any Oscar traction. And I would have been very wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Richard, you really um, compared him to Wes Anderson as somebody who, you know, was kind of overdue. And we had talked about the French Dispatch the previous year, so we got into that as well. Um, And I think that the PTA is overdue narrative lasted for a really long time until the very end. And then Belfast won screenplay, which I still, like, can't fully wrap my head around. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. It's probably a mix of a lot of things. One of them maybe being some of the controversy surrounding Little Chris Pizza that really, you know, resurged during the voting. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, I think that people just loved Belfast so much that they wanted to give it something. And during our live blog during the broadcast uh, last Sunday, I mentioned that both of them are very overdue, Branna and Anderson, because Branna has been nominated in all kinds of categories over the past almost 30, 30, actually over 30 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has eight, had eight nominations until, and then this win. Um, But Anderson, who's been around a lot less time, has 11. Wow. Yeah. It's going to happen for him at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Depending on your metric, he was more due than Brianna was. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Also, Michael Showalter's The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah. With yep. Jessica Chastain, Andrew yep. Garfield as Jim Baker. And I like, mm-hmm. I had to run, as soon as I saw that, I ran to Google to see if there were images of Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker, but none that I could find yet. So um, I cannot wait for that wig reveal. David, you were doing our predictions and you realized that you were going to predict The Eyes of Tammy Faye to win two Oscars, which it did. Have you grappled with that internally? Well, I ended up only predicting one, Katie. Oh, right, because you went for Penelope Cruz. Excuse me, my goodness. Yes, I, I, I spent a half hour time at Penelope Cruz. Uh, <laughs> R.I.P. that theory. I did and I didn't. I, when I saw the movie in, God, it was August, early September, I remember thinking she could win. And then, like everybody, I wasn't even really predicting her to be nominated until she started getting all those precursor nominations. But yeah, by by SAG, it was pretty clear that the odds were in the favor of the movie winning two Oscars. Um, Certainly not what we would have expected, but (laughs) my personal feeling is I'm happy it was that movie and not being the Ricardos that won two Oscars, but Mm. I'll leave it at that. There you go. That seemed equally possible in both of those categories. Exactly. A a, a long, long while. Richard, you were kind of an early skeptic of Isa Tammy Faye when we were having that conversation that the the -the over-the-topness of the makeup wasn't sitting well with you. So I guess you were sort of right, too. Although I will say when I saw it, uh, you know, pre-Toronto in New York, I walked out of that and I said to my friend who I saw it with, I was like, that's going to be big for her. And so I was right go. about that. But I, I, then, I, then I quickly left that theory <laughs> on the corner of 59th Street and Park Avenue. We have a lot of abandoned correct guesses on this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> show. Um, all right. I need you guys to brace yourselves for this next one. It's going oh, no. to be really deranged in hindsight. The new Jane Campion movie. Jane Campion movie, which has Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons together, which is, you know, for for the yeah. for us Plemons Dunst watchers is a huge draw. And if you believe Variety, uh, the Venice and Can are fighting over the Campion movie currently. Oh, oh, interesting. Also, there's a movie called The Starling directed by uh, Theodore Melfi, who directed um, St. Vincent, but also Hidden Figures. <laughs> 
Get what out of here, Jane Campion. <laughs> the Starling. <laughs> Joe, it's not your fault that we spent more time talking about the Starling than Power of the Dog, but it is crazy. It's not, not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> you were like listing this long list. Like Netflix has a bunch of movies. It's got Sandra Bullock and the Unforgiven. Oh, right. It was in my Netflix list. And then Jane Campion. But and then like later on, I'm like, well, there's no like Grand Master of Cinema like Roma out there this year. And um, man, we all had a lot of a lack of foresight there. Yeah. What we didn't mention in that was that at that time, the Toronto Film Festival had announced that they were kind of just rushing into production a bunch of movies just to fill their slots for the festival. And, and the Starling was clearly one of those. It was made to play at Toronto <laughs> and then nowhere else. And then right. never exist again. Yeah. Right. Well, David, you were our chief Jan Campion correspondent all season. So last spring, were you racing for Power of the Dog more than clearly we were? Um, no, honestly, I, I, I think... In hindsight, we definitely should have given the amount that Netflix put into it and mm-hmm. from the very beginning. But Jane Campion hadn't made an Oscar contending movie in, in quite a long time. She'd made movies that were very well received, like Bright Star, movies that were not as well received, like In the Cut or Portrait of a Lady. Um, but since The Piano, it had not, it had been a pretty dry spell Oscars-wise, um, which she talked about a lot this season. So mm-hmm. it was hard to predict, um, but... To your point about, you know, there's no master of cinema here, like Jane Campion was there and, and I know. she had resources to make a movie as she wanted to, as she hadn't in a very long time. And and clearly that um, resulted in something really special. Yeah, that was me being um, really blind and foolish there, um, which, you know, if for all the you know ups and downs you went through with Power of the Dog this season, I think being reminded that people like Jane Campion who have not been lauded the way that Martin Scorsese has doesn't mean that they can't be and shouldn't be. And now she has a director Oscar. And she does. And we can on uh, on Monday when I was still in LA, I went down Sunset and saw one of those huge big Netflix billboards that said Hollywood is finally ready for Jane Campion, like a <laughs> review quote. And I was like, I guess that was true. <laughs> it was a it was a journey. Quite um, a campaign. I know. Um, well, Jane Campion reminded us in a piece that um, Netflix gave her a lot of money, but not as much as one of the two movies that Joe's about to mention as what he thought were going to be <laughs> Netflix's two big. I titles. know what this is. <laughs> the two Netflix movies that I think have the possibility to be like their big thing. Um, One of them is the Adam McKay movie, Don't Mm -hmm. Look Up, which is a comedy, which is not always, you know, an easy sell for Oscar. And then the other one is a Western called The Harder They Fall. Wow. Yeah. Half right. Half right. And I will say, I thought The Harder They Fall was pretty good. And... You know, it's not my fault that the Oscars couldn't get on board with my uh, the superior opinion. No, I don't know. Um, it's one of those, like, seemed pretty cool on paper at the time kind of ideas. But, uh, yeah, I guess I guess I get credit for Don't Look Up. You're, you're welcome. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why The Harder They Fall didn't go further other than that. Netflix just had too much on its plate and also had their own Western. Like it did in the Idris Elba, you know, October period. We're like, okay, yeah, supporting actor campaign for him. And then it didn't work out. It ended up being, I think, a good deal weirder than, you know, people maybe expected. And that maybe threw some people. And it's like, it was not like loved across the board. So there was a little bit more of a maybe divisiveness there. But it also just felt like, Netflix, like, they promoted that movie a lot, but they promoted it as, 
Like, if they were a studio that was releasing things in theaters, that would have been like, you know, that's their popcorn movie rather than their, you know, award movie. From what I remember of, of their campaigns for those two movies, and Rebecca, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they quite knew how far either of them would go. Obviously, Don't Look Up was a great deal more poorly reviewed than your average Best Picture nominee, and I think that they knew it would yeah. have a challenge in that lane. And Heart of They Fall um, was one they talked about a lot in, in early conversations as a strong possible contender on the commercial side. And and after its London premiere, that kind of just faded away despite pretty strong reviews. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there. We did get Jonathan Majors in the uh, the Actors Roundtable talking to Nicolas Cage about the horse that yes. uh, <laughs> they had each uh, worked with, which like I wouldn't have traded that for the world. So we at least got something out of it. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, let's go on to a, another prediction. Maybe eh, Don't brace yourselves for this one. This, you knew this was coming. What better way for Hollywood to say movies are back, movie stars are back, everyone come to the theaters, than for Warner Brothers to get an Oscar for Will Smith Yep. Uh, for King Richard, the biopic yep. about mm-hmm. uh, Venus and Serena Williams' dad? Well, Richard, until about 30 minutes before Will Smith won his Oscar, that was Richard. <laughs> go, 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 go away again, movie. <laughs> um, I also want to give you credit, Richard, that you flagged Anjanue Ellis in that conversation because uh, we had just been talking about Jonathan Majors in The Harder They Fall and she, they were on Lovecraft Country together. So um, a, another very good prediction there. Oh, well, I'm glad about that, at least. And look, yeah. in, a, in a total vacuum. In that timeline, I, I, I'm still happy that Will Smith has an Oscar. Obviously, we don't live in that timeline, but sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just evidence that the writing was on the wall for that movie like so early. Well, and not to puff up Richard and I even more so, but like I remember the <laughs> two of us talking about King Richard like two years ago before this, because huh. this one had been on the schedule when we recorded in 2020. Oh wow! And I, being a big tennis dork, was very much like this one was very much on my radar. But I remember like Richard, you and I talking about that even even then. Yeah, Joe, you knew that uh, Richard Williams was a real character, which I certainly didn't know. Um, right, so right. So you kind of saw yeah. that coming. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's go on to another big thing that we saw coming. Dune is this obvious big question mark we've had for a long time, which I don't know. Maybe we can do it the favor and not assign it Oscar buzz because it's going to be Dune That's anyway. sort of what I want to do for it. Yes. Yeah. I just I'm excited for it for a billion different reasons. And I don't want to, you know, place that pressure on it. Not that I have the power to do that or not do that. But, um, <laughs> I think it can be a really good movie and still maybe not be an Oscar thing. And yeah, that's fine. I think me. that's perfect. I'm so glad we were wrong. I was so happy to have Dune in this Plan Oscar executed race. perfectly, Katie. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Except it was like it premiered at Venice, so it had Oscar buzz all along. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was such a blessing to have that thing in the race. Except it I always thought it was strange during this whole race. There was a, a lot of this talk about, you know, why aren't more popular movies in? Why didn't Spider-Man get a nomination? And in all those conversations, nobody seemed to acknowledge the fact that, like, this massive blockbuster, you know, big production in Dune was not the most nominations, but, like, one of the most nominated films. And it felt like it was this big behemoth that sometimes got overlooked in conversations about the Oscars, which I thought was kind of strange. Yeah. Between that that and Don't Look Up, it it felt like you had... Enough popular movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that whole 
you know, release strategy of Warner Brothers really hurt that narrative from happening. Mm. Yeah. If it had made like $200 million in theaters or something like that, it would have been a yeah. different story. Um, well, it won six Oscars, <laughs> which yeah. is not nothing. No, not um, bad. And I'm, I imagine we all had that moment after that first hour, that, you know, disastrous untelevised hour when it won, you know, five of the eight awards handed out or something. We were like, what if Dune wins Best Picture, which is right. not how it works, but the support seemed to be there. I wonder, because Richard, you had predicted Denis to win for a little bit, and I wonder if the director's branch wasn't so finicky and they did nominate him if he was a, a real challenger there, given how much support it had below the line. He could have been. Yeah. I mean, it is wild that a movie won that many technical things and they were like, but not the direction. But not the direction. <laughs> yeah. And that's something they all talked that the um, those winners all talked about back in the press room, that they were so sad that Denis wasn't there. But and Rebecca, you spoke to him at our party, right? He seemed to be doing just fine, I guess. Yeah, he, he seemed quite happy. But I, I, I'm going to make an early prediction that Dune 2, like, is a serious best picture contender and he'll get director and everything. I feel like people didn't want to reward this, like, half movie, half you know, movie. but when mm-hmm. he finishes it up, I think... I'm gonna I'm gonna put that early prediction out there though. I love it. Maybe a very remind Return of me, the King. Yeah. Remind me yeah. to find this in the archives in like 2025 or when <laughs> 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 Oh, Katie, we we won't be doing this then. <laughs> <laughs> no, Richard, you'll be recapping the Oscars for the right. rest of time from 20 years earlier. But actually, speaking of the Oscar recap, the one from 2002, um, Whoopi Goldberg makes a joke on stage about how everyone loves Moulin Rouge, but apparently it didn't have a director because Baz Luhrmann was famously not yeah. uh, nominated, yeah. even though it won a ton of technical prizes. And was nominated for you know actress and uh, best picture and all that. Yeah, yeah. Where was Billy Crystal or Whoopi Goldberg this year to make the "Did this film direct itself?" joke That's that I right. uh, exactly. Someone I might adore. have made it in that uh, last hour of the show, and none of us noticed. Yeah, I was going to say we were all in a fugue state. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Oh, speaking of fugue state, here here comes a good one. Oh, I did want to, th- I meant to talk about this at the beginning when we talked about In the Heights and West Side Story, but uh, there's Tick, Tick, Boom. And then there's also Dear Evan Hansen in terms of yes. like giant musicals. It seems to be set for a September release, um, which in terms of like, if we're going by the old school rules of Oscar buzz windows, which I don't know how much those will apply anymore. Um, it seems to imply maybe it's more of a like audience thing than an Oscar-y thing, but it was a big deal on Broadway. When it becomes a feature film that a lot more people can see and have access to, oh, yeah. I think yeah. that movie needs to brace for a wave of backlash. People being like, yeah. this is what oh, the yeah. show is about. Richard, you're on the right side of history. Do you feel good? I'm, I'm a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just like that. Again, the writing was on that wall because, you know, as in the Heights learned as well, even if it's a hit on Broadway with the, the swells of, you know, Manhattan, that does not translate necessarily to broad national support. Um, and In the Heights didn't, you know, have the problems that Evan Hansen does. But Evan Hansen, you know, that was a thing. And and it really did bear out where people were on Twitter and whatever were like, wait, that's what that movie is? That, that's what that <laughs> yeah. thing's about? literally like, exactly uh-huh. what they did. He's straight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the biggest one. Like, I just assumed it was like, yes, because it was marketed as such. But that, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad to have uh, seen that coming. Although um, I guess it could have been avoided. They could have made tweaks, but they chose not to. Yeah. I want to credit Joe, too, for calling Ben Platt's performance a tears and snot forward performance on Broadway. <laughs> stand by it. You saw all those uh, screenshots of him sobbing by the tree, huh? You I knew stand it by it. Yep. <laughs> all right, Joe, you'll, you'll be happy to hear this next one, too. Oh, good. I'm going to start by defending the concept of being the Ricardos, which is the Aaron Sorkin movie that has come in for <laughs> some heat because there are these set photos of Nicole Kidman looking, I mean, she doesn't look a lot like Nicole Kidman or Lucille Ball 
I feel like that's fine. I I mean, I think, Joe, you're with me in that, like, Aaron Sorkin will have me more interested than not by default. I Set me up that... for a battle here, Katie. <laughs> I <know. laughs> well, I just forgot that the Ricardo's backlash was so early. I had completely forgotten about this. That episodes. first photo of Nicole Kidman where everybody was like, she doesn't look like Lucy. It should be Deborah Messing. It was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, was, okay. Like, that was weird. <laughs> Yeah, that was so really much weird. Deborah messing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, aren't we all glad we had Nicole Kidman in our Oscar season? I am. In general? I am. It was, it was a bummer she kind of disappeared after she lost SAG. But then she came back to make a huge face at Jessica Chastain, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Not <laughs> at Will Smith. <laughs> Not at Will Smith. <laughs> She was also, and this came up in um, in Pedro Almodovar's like really wonderful recap of the Oscars about how Keith Urban like gave her his jacket to wear like during the commercial yeah. race because it was yeah. so cold in there. And I, I saw that a couple times on the broadcast too. It was it was very yes. charming. Yeah, every time they cut to her, I was just like, oh, it must be it must be very cold. Although I also imagine that like Nicole Kidman, delicate flower that she is, probably uh, needs a light like, jacket. In yeah, the, she doesn't in have the... a lot of insulation to keep her warm. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think Almodovar said that like she. <laughs> She was, like, cryogenically frozen like Walt Disney. (laughs) It was so funny. Incredible. I got to shout out my fave, Kay Cannon, of my beloved blockers, uh, doing Cinderella. Wow. Oh, dear God. I I told Joanna this was going to be on the show. (laughs) Not to shame her, but... Cinderella did become part of the Oscars, so I think she deserves some credit for that. <laughs> it no, it's really true. Did. It did. It had, it had a longer clip than some of the Best Picture nominees. Yes. So. <laughs> Definitely did. Uh, and I never saw... Did any of us see Girl Boss Cinderella? Richard, did no. you review it? I turned that baby off after 20 minutes. <laughs> I cannot do it. Uh, so no, I did not. But I know it was massively popular, so... Well, Army yeah, of the Dead yeah. is the true winner, so that's the one that we have to... We'll do it at our Oscars. Yeah, where were we on that summer. one? Yeah. Ne- <laughs> never saw it. Uh, okay, we just have two more left, so let's uh, get to the second to last. We already talked about it post Sundance, but I think one of the maybe the one movie, there uh, one big movie that I think from that festival that has chances if, if Netflix handles it right uh, is passing, particularly for Ruth Negus' performance. Richard, well, did you right. think you, you were going to say hope? Sun- <laughs> nothing from Sundance won, so I called it, right? Uh, Ruth Negger really seemed like she could have been there till the last minute, right? Such a bummer. Yeah, that was that, that was a genuine surprise when the nomination came out. Like, I sort of had just assumed in some strange way that that would happen. But then, then old Dench came in and messed things up for everybody. <laughs> Don't bet old against Dench. Judy. We keep learning. <laughs> Um, okay, and then the last one before I reveal what we predicted to win Best Picture. I thought Richard was going to say Coda talking about Sundance, um, which is picked up mm. by Apple TV+. Plus. That was like the huge crowd pleaser for being a virtual Sundance. And Marley Matlin is also a supporting actress in that. She's an Oscar winner. Um, she's really terrific mm. in it. And I, I, mm. I like that movie a whole lot. So I'm excited to see what happens. Ha! I'm ending by being correct. (laughs) (laughs) You got to pick the clips. (laughs) No fair. (laughs) That was also the last thing we mentioned in the entire show. So it's not like we were really. It was the Coda to our episode. Yeah, yeah, I really did think Marley Matlin was going to be the push for a long time. And it just, it was like when Coda seemed to die out in the fall, we were like, okay, it didn't happen. And then the resurgence, which I still haven't really wrapped my head around, and Troy Kotzer wrote it all the way. It does feel like if. Because, like, we've talked about like throughout the season, like, the weird buzz arc of CODA. And if it had started to crest sooner, it does feel like there might have been room for Marley Matlin uh, mm-hmm. in Supporting Actress. Just because, 
once those, you know, sort of precursor ceremonies started happening, she was so visible. She was, you know, so very much kind of the face of their movie in a lot of ways. Obviously, Troy Kotzer was as well. And she is a former Oscar winner. And that does tend to count for something, or at least it usually does. Yeah, if the precursor awards had happened the way they often do during the voting window, like the Critics' Choice Awards and the Golden Globes had really existed, Kodo, I think, would have really turned out differently, um, which is fascinating to think about. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we predicted what we thought was going to win Best Picture. Joe, you and Joanna both went hard for In the Heights. um, Yeah. We've we've talked about plenty about what happened there, um, but I, I, I don't think you should regret that call. In my defense, I should have been right. (laughs) <laughs> no, I think I just like I envisioned it rolling out in a different way. I certainly envisioned the West Side Story roll out in a different way. And that kind of colored that whole thing, too, that I kind of pictured this sort of goofus and gallant kind of way where like West Side Story would compare not as favorably to In the Heights. And there was a lot of excitement leading up to In the Heights. And how was I to know that all of that excitement would translate to nobody going to see it in theaters? Although the, our standards for nobody seeing it were so unfair. I think we yeah, thought about I this thought, too. I mean, I thought so. I, th- I, th- I thought that movie had a lot of, uh, a lot of things went wrong for that movie in a way that I felt like it was kind of a shame. But Okay, Richard, you predicted uh, Licorice Pizza called Soggy Bottom at the time, which was, I think that was a pretty good bet. Like, like that could have very well happened for a long time. I think I just wanted to say Soggy Bottom again. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I guess. Um, and then I get to brag about myself one more time. Using my tradition of predicting a Best Picture winner that turns out to win Best Makeup, I did predict Eyes of Tammy Faye. <laughs> you it's didn't possibly, even frame it that exact I, way. I did. I mean, It was kind of amazing. I was kind of also cheating, just being like, I'm going to do the easy thing and get the easier category right. Um, so maybe this year I should change it up. But it worked out for once. Yeah. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Review's Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. So let's turn to the future and uh, Joe's wonderful spreadsheet of movies that are coming out this year. Um, And David and Rebecca, I'm going to throw to you guys first, since obviously in our glimpse of the past that you weren't here for, uh, you haven't gotten to talk as much. So, Rebecca, looking over the vast array of movies ahead of us, what is sticking out to you or are there any trends that you see in what we have coming? It's interesting because the other day at one of the Oscar parties, Someone came up to me and was like, oh, next year's Oscars are going to be really big. And I was like, please don't talk to me about next year. <laughs> but I, I do I think... I wish I saw your face. Oh, man. <laughs> I do think he was right because you look at the directors with films coming up and it's pretty insane. It's Spielberg, Scorsese, Inuritu, Giselle, Mendez. Like, there's a lot of heavy hitters this year. And I think a lot of their films seem really promising. So I think it is going to be a pretty big year if they all turn out the way I hope they do. Do you have a number one on your list right now? Um, I'm a big Chazelle fan, and and I, I thought La La Land was pretty wonderful. And I think since his new movie, Babylon, is um, 
apparently returning to sort of Hollywood and and all that. I, I and has Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. I feel like that's my number one in in my mind right now. A whisper through the grapevine has told me that the Chazelle script is quote weird. <laughs> Good. I like yeah. a little weird. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, I was a big First Man supporter um, and less into La La Land, but it, it really made me, I think, a, a Chazelle lifer. I love that movie so much. I think also the fact that it was initially scheduled for Christmas 2021, and when they delayed it, they pushed it just to Christmas 2022. Like, they know how they want to position this and where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they yeah. want this to be in the calendar. And that feels like a lot of confidence And sometimes even, you know, more so than quality of film, sometimes confidence in who is pushing the film uh, matters a lot. So, yeah. And it is Paramount, which has had a wobbly couple of years. But I do also feel like they have something to prove and like what a way Mm. to do it if they can pull it Mm -hmm. off. Uh, David, are you looking at big names or uh, or stories or what as you look at this list? Well, I'm I'm definitely coming off of this best picture race thinking about the kind of movie that can win. Mm hmm. Yeah, to Rebecca's point, it's a, it's actually a really exciting list. Um, one movie that really sticks out to me is She Said, um, which has a lot of ingredients, I think, that could play really well to the Academy if it's executed well. This is the um, New York Times Harvey Weinstein reporting film starring Carrie Mulligan. It's directed by Maria Schrader, who is um, really a really strong director who's getting her first, I think, big showcase. She did Unorthodox for Netflix and I'm Your Man. Um, Universal's distributing it, and uh, I've heard it's going to be a big awards priority for them. And it feels like the kind of movie that can guilt Hollywood just enough into feeling like they need to vote for it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I like I like its chances. And then... Do you think it has better chances than Bombshell? Yes, because I think... I mean, I, I'm not going to get... I'm not going to, like, insult Jay Roach on the podcast, but I do think Maria Schrader's <laughs> an interesting director for uh, a movie like this. And... Uh, Carrie Mulligan, I think, remains overdue for an Oscar. Uh, She's come close. And uh, I think there are a lot of ingredients there that that could really make it turn out well. And then more of a passion pick, and someone I'm really interested in, is Daniel Deadweiler, who uh, I have steadily loved in in bit parts and things like Station Eleven. She's playing um, Emmett Till's mother in Till, which is a UAR movie. Uh, And we know they've become big players after this year with movies like Licorice Pizza and House of Gucci, <laughs> however poorly that campaign turned out. Uh, and she's someone I would love to see get a real breakout this year. She's so good in Station Eleven. And she's like, yeah, so good. Real, she just like grabs the entire show for that one episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, Richard, what you got your eye on? Well, the thing I have my eye on at the moment is Joe in this spreadsheet for the, the final Halloween film has the stars as Jamie Lee Curtis, comma, Kyle Richards, which I, which I appreciate. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah, I mean, she is going to be in it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the amount of like Oscar winning, you know, major directors who appear to be uh, having movies out. And that could be a bunch of misfires or, you know, everything is a hit. And then there's a huge fight for best director. Um, but I'm really curious. I don't know if it has much of a chance maybe beyond lead actress, but like Todd Field is back after how many 15 years away um, with this movie called Tar, which is a biopic about a conductor, I believe. Um, And Kate Blanchett is playing that person. And uh, no matter what it is, having just recapped the In the Bedroom Oscars, like, I'm just so curious. Will he put a little note at the end being like, oh, so by the way, I was away doing that. Here's why I haven't made a movie in a decade and a half. Um, If nothing else, I'm just imminently curious about that one. 
Um, I'm going to jump in and just take one of the big titles that if we don't have, if we haven't talked about as of next year's episode, we'll kick ourselves. But we mentioned Scorsese, Colors of the Flower Moon. It's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Apple's, I assume, their big follow-up to having won yep. the Best Picture Oscar. Um, it seems much more like an Irishman than a Coda because it's, you know, it's Mark Scorsese and it's set in the past. It's based on this true story, this um, very big best-selling nonfiction book about a string of murders on a uh, the Osage Indian Reservation in the 1920s, back when they had a lot of oil money. But if you put Jesse Plemons in your movie, your odds of getting a Best Picture nomination <laughs> go up real high. Yeah. Um, and it's Leonardo DiCaprio, Lily Gladstone, who was so good in Certain Women, and we're going to talk about Kelly Reichardt later. So um, I'm really genuinely excited about it. And not just like a, a dutiful Oscar thing. I think it could be really great. Yeah. yeah. Joe, your turn. Uh, I sort of am kind of laser focused on a couple of performers, although both of the movies that they're in, I'm also really interested in. Colin Farrell is having a bit of a in Bruges reunion with uh, Martin McDonough and Brendan Gleeson in a movie called The Banshees of Inishrin. I'm going to pronounce it that way and hope my <laughs> Irish uh, forebears will forgive me. I saw um, that in the spreadsheet. I like couldn't find the director tab for a second. Then I was like, there's only one person. This yeah, I was going to say, you don't, need, you don't need that director tab. You got it. Um, right now it's set for an October release, which feels like fall festival friendly. And it feels like That In Bruges nomination that didn't happen for Colin Farrell, I wonder if there's a little bit of like, what's the opposite of buyer's remorse, the non-buyer's remorse, Uh, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. some regret that that probably should have been an Oscar nomination for Colin Farrell. He did win the Golden Globe. Uh, It does stand as one of his best performances. And now maybe they get a second crack at it and... On my other podcast, on my podcast that I host, uh, uh, this had Oscar buzz. I do have a running bet with my co-host Chris that uh, Colin Farrell is going to get an Oscar nomination within the next few years. So that would also help me out financially. Isn't this your last year that you can make it on that bet? I think I have two years. I have this year and okay. next year, but this is the okay. one I'm really putting a lot of my hopes on. So, well, it seems like after Yang is probably not going to be a push for him because his performance is very good in that movie, but it's pretty very low key. But it could, yes. um, it could build on each other, right? Could like, buttress it for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then the other one I was looking at is the new Yorgos Lanthimos movie, which is called mm-hmm. Poor Things, that has a fascinating sort of logline. Uh, Upon drowning herself to escape her abusive husband, a woman has her brain replaced with the brain of her unborn child by her father. So the woman sure. is played by Emma Stone. Yeah, like, tale as old as time. Um, uh, the woman is played by Emma Stone, re-teaming with uh, Yorgos Lanthimos after The Favorite. And then the father, this sort of, I imagine, mad scientist type, is played by Willem Dafoe, who at this point is a four-time Oscar nominee. He's never won. The fact that he was nominated for At Eternity's Gate a few years ago tells me that like the Oscar voters just really like him. And he's not ever talked about um, in the same breath as, like, your Amy Adamses and Michelle Williamses and Glenn Close, when it's like, when are they going to win? And yet, he's kind of in that same echelon at this point. And this seems like a pretty interesting kind of a role if they wanted to do a, a supporting actor push with that. It's a Searchlight film, doesn't really have a uh, release date yet, but I am all in and fascinated on it, so... Another little detail about the um, Lanthimos movie, you know, the supporting cast, Mark Ruffalo, Rami Youssef, Christopher Abbott, but also Gerard Carmichael, who most people know is a comedian. He had the show, The Carmichael Show. Um, And Mm -hmm. as of the day we're recording, uh, well, he's hosting SNL on Saturday, but also he has a new special out in which he comes out, um, which is pretty interesting. And I just think that like he's going to have there's going to be a lot of press around that. I think probably when you're listening to this, there is press about it. 
And so, you know, then he gets to ride that momentum into a supporting role in a cool awardsy Lanthimos movie. And that, you know, that's a nice uh, yeah. continuation of his narrative. He and Christopher Abbott also made that Sundance movie together. Um, yeah. It was Sundance 2021 and still hasn't come out yet, which I didn't like all that much, but, you know. No, but. I'll, uh, I'll add to this. Yeah, they were interesting together, I thought. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Another UAR movie, actually. Yeah. I didn't go through it enough to look by studio, but, you know, United Artists had this really interesting year this past year with House of Gucci and Bond and yeah. stuff that I'm not thinking of. So, you know, are they going to be even more of a player next year? They've got. Women talking, the Sarah Polly movie that I'm going to yep. lose my mind Sarah over. Sarah Polly can do no wrong. She this really is going to be can. so good. It's going to be good. <laughs> uh, wait, and tell me why you're excited, David. Uh, well, I've read the book by Miriam Towes, and who I love, and it's a fascinating story. It's Sarah Polly's first narrative film since I want to say Take This Waltz. Take this waltz, yeah. She, she had made, the documentary. She had stories we tell, which stories was tell. phenomenal. And she made Alias Grace for Netflix, which is also yeah. really good. And um, she wrote Away from Her, right, with Julie Christie. Yeah, um, yeah. Which was beautiful as well. So and she got she, nominated I mean, for it. Quite yeah. literally, she can do no wrong. And, <laughs> and uh, this has Frances McDormand producing, which has become a bit of a good luck charm for sure. for movies of late. Um, it's got an incredible cast. Jesse Buckley's in a big role. Um, the one male role is played by Ben Wishaw, who I would argue is due for his first Oscar nomination. If you're going to have one man in your cast, it may as well be Ben Wishaw, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and Frances McDormand is also in the film, uh, among many, many others. So that's definitely one to watch out for. Katie, that was the reasoning for Suffragette. <laughs> the, the is he, is he in Suffragette? Wow, I forgot that. Carrie yeah. Mulligan's rough and tumble gruff yep. husband, and it's like, yep. okay. Yep. Sure. <laughs> um, Interesting. Uh, Wishaw is also in an Iris Sachs movie that seems really promising yep. yeah. um, that I'm excited yep. about. But I wanted to mention with uh, Women Talking, um, there's an added, I know this might sound cynical, but you know, the awards campaign is about the film, but it's also about the artists. And Sarah Pauly is coming back from, I didn't know this until a recent interview, she had a fire extinguisher fall on her head and got what? a horrible concussion and was like really, really like badly hurt for, I think, a couple years. Yeah. Oh, um, she writes about it in her book of essays that came out that's also wonderful because everything she does is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And so like as a kind of comeback, like we missed you, like we hope you're well, like that kind of thing. And it's this acclaimed novel and it has this incredible cast and such a fascinating premise. Yeah, that's definitely one to watch. And, you know, it has... A resurgent studio behind it and all that. So, I, yeah, that's definitely a, seems like a definite like Venice kind of thing. Mm. I do wonder how Amazon's involvement with MGM will impact yeah. these campaigns, if at all, because it's a really robust slate. And we were just talking about Amazon's uh, performance at the Oscars this past year. And um, anyway, there's been some te- there's been some reported tension there between the two factions. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes Oscar-wise. Well, you hope that awards-wise they recognize which half is better at <laughs> the whole yeah. thing and go with them. But yeah. who knows? Um, well, what, we were just talking about Sarah Polly, one of my faves, and uh, Kelly Reichardt, another one of my huge faves who had mm-hmm. uh, First Cow um, in early 2020, I guess. Um, but she's yep. reuniting with John McGarrow from First Cow and Michelle Williams, who she's worked with so many times. And in the description you have here, Joe, it's described as a vibrant and sharply funny portrait, um, which— you know, Sharply Funny, I think, is something that comes up in her movies and, and fits and starts, um, but yes. often they're a lot more serious. And so the idea of something that's like even sort of a comedy from her is so exciting. And I really think that um, she and Michelle Williams are this 
really formidable team. Um, so um, And it's from May 24, and we all know that they can take small movies really far. So I'm very excited for that. God, First Cow was so good. I wish that had had more of a... I know. Yeah. So what hopefully this will be that moment for her. Yeah. It was released yeah. in March 2020, right? It yeah. was the, the dead yeah. zone. Rough timing. The, never, the yeah. never rarely, sometimes always zone. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, Rebecca, what else you got your eye on? I'm interested in Spielberg's uh, Roma as uh, the, the fable men. <laughs> Every year we have a Roma. Yeah, <laughs> it's his, um, you know, inspired by his childhood story. It co-wrote it with Tony Kushner, starring Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen. But, you know, what I'm realizing is making a Roma does not mean you're going to win Oscars. <laughs> right. I mean, yes, you you may win a Oscar, but, you know, uh, your best picture has not been awarded to one of these films but this is Steven Spielberg so you know there there is no one more beloved in this community and 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 I'm curious to see him sort of do something so personal so I'm definitely um, excited to see it yeah James Gray also has a Roma this year and he's obviously a lot less of an Oscar accessible director Mm -hmm. than Spielberg is so but his movie's called Armageddon Time um and do you you think that the movie with Jeremy Strong and Anne Hathaway in the cast is going to have an interesting press tour (laughs) <laughs> I imagine so. And Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's I mean, everyone's just happy to see him. It's a <laughs> No, I know, but I mean he's a he's a good time. He's a you know Yeah. He'll yeah. balance out the intensity of your peace, sure, peace, yeah, and, yeah. peace yeah. and love and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> we also then have the looming specter of Anne Hathaway and Anthony Hopkins doing Queen's accents. Which yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. Accents are all the rage these days. The so. year of Anne yeah. Hathaway accents. Yeah. Yes. Do for it. That's true. Uh, going back to the giant director, well, Wes Anderson has another movie coming already. I mean, I guess The French Dispatch was probably finished in 2019, so it shouldn't be yeah. that surprising. But a Wes Anderson movie called Asteroid City, I don't know what in the world to make of that. Like, is he going to do full sci-fi? Uh, yeah, it's, I it's mean, an the... allegory for, uh, I don't know, something. Climate <laughs> <laughs> change is done. I don't know. It's something else. The book yeah, it's his, it's his don't look up. It's his don't look <laughs> <Yeah>. up. Right. <laughs> He keeps adding to his sort of repertory company, too. This one uh, adds Margot Robbie and Tom Hanks and Scarlett Johansson, which I don't think Scarlett Johansson has done a, a Wes Anderson movie before. So, so. Um, in addition to your, you know, your Bill Murray's and Tilda Swinton's and Jeff Goldblum's. And, Jeffrey Wright uh, again, which is Jeffrey Wright again, which so is exciting. Yeah. Also, Matt Dillon. Like, I don't This is getting way ahead. But like, you know, how Brendan Fraser's been everywhere lately. Like, can we do that for Matt Dillon? Can he just come back? I mean, you could start a betting pool where everybody just sort of takes a cast member from a Wes Anderson movie and see when the movie comes out how much screen time your <laughs> cast member ends up with. You could end up with a Saoirse Ronan in French Dispatch, or you could end up with a Benicio del Toro, and it's, it's uh, true. you never really know. So you, you yeah. never do. Yeah. Well, speaking of Brendan Fraser, you have The Whale at A24. Oh, boy. Yeah. Which has been around <laughs> for a long time. Like, yes, we talked about has. that in the 2021 episode, too. Uh, that's Darren Aronofsky. Sadie Sink, <laughs> who is a more more newsy than she was when this film was previously talked about, probably. Um, in the arc of Brendan Fraser's comeback, this movie will play a big role one way or another. So I guess it's it's one to look out for. Yeah, I mean, where we are in fat suit discourse, I think, is this movie is yeah. going to run headlong into yeah. it. Um, That's right where and, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's relevant, and it's really hard to know how it's going to play out in this movie. But I think it, it's giving a lot of us a kind of like... Okay, we'll see I what you guys love, do with it. I would love nothing more than a Brendan Fraser comeback. And this, every time I look at the the description of it, I get so kind of bummed out at the idea of it. Um, 
But it, in, yeah, it's... in a strange way, you know, we were talking about the Dear Evan Hansen thing, like the stage to screen, like a lot more people are going to see it. The Whale is a really, really well-regarded play. It won right. big awards, but that was an off-Broadway New York thing. And I think once there are more eyes on it, a lot of the sort of quest problems at the center of the casting um, might be that much more glaring. Yeah. Aronofsky's also an interesting director for it. He's not someone who you would necessarily peg as rendering a story like this with a particularly sensitive right. touch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Body horror seems more like what yes, to expect. Yes, that's yeah, the thing. Exactly. And yeah. as somebody who's really loved his body horror in the past, like, I feel almost mm-hmm. like this is how I get repaid, Darren. Thank you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were rooting for you, Darren. We were yeah. all rooting for you. <laughs> right. I do think A24 has their hands full this season. I yeah, mean, they, they have do. a lot of projects. They have the Ari Aster film, which I think is his first non-horror film, which I think gives it more of a chance to, you know, be in this conversation. And they have the Noah Baumbach. And, uh, you know, from what we know about them, they don't spend as much as, like, say, a Netflix. I mean, no one spends as much as a Netflix. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, I think they're going to have to make some choices once these films start rolling out. And they have a lot of good stuff, I think. Uh, yeah. I have heard that the Ari Aster film at present is four hours long. Oh, my oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah. I was talking about this with a, with a friend who is in our industry. And we were like, if anyone's going to let it be four hours, it's A24. Yeah. You, you know, because they want to keep Ari Aster happy. He's one of their homegrown talents. Like yep. He makes money, yep. which yeah. not many of their mm-hmm. films do. Yeah. So I'm I'm infinitely, I mean, I, I have felt, you know, I mean, certainly after Midsommar that like, this is our next Paul Thomas Anderson. I think he is going to move away from horror and get into the vast weird reaches of his mind. And uh, I'm really yeah. curious to see if this is the movie that kind of, it takes the There, there Will Be Blood turn or Punch Drunk Love or whatever into more and more abstraction. And um, yeah, I'm excited. Four hours though, that sounds, that's a lot. It is still listed, I should say, on IMDb and Grain of Salt with that, but it is listed genre-wise as comedy, drama, horror, like all three of them. So, like, (laughs) he's probably not leaving horror entirely behind, although, yes, it does seem like this is him sort of genre uh, drifting a little bit towards. And, like, yeah, Richard, like you said, like, he feels like one of those directors who it's going to happen for. The narrative of his career feels like it's moving towards an eventual Oscar nomination at some point. And if they had released Midsummer differently, I think that could have been in the conversation in a more significant way. Um, yeah. yeah. He feels due. Speaking of feeling due, you know, I, I said on the podcast last year, like, oh, what better way to say Hollywood's back than Will Smith? And, you know, it would have been this big career capping thing. Not a, not the same kind of performer, but like Hugh Jackman, uh, yeah. who like yeah. I wish they had released Bad Education in theaters. I think that could have been yeah. a nomination for him. Um, but he has Florian Zeller's new film, The Sun, and Florian Zeller just won his last lead actor an Oscar. So um, I have high hopes have for to, that. You have to say the title of the movie, though, because he's got like a trilogy going on here. Oh, The, the Father, Now the Son, and then I guess yeah. The Holy Ghost. will. The be, Holy um, Ghost, right. <laughs> with, it's a Casper reboot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Hugh Jackman, that, could be a, that would be a nice narrative. He he was at his first Oscars for it in 2002, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A kind of yeah. newly minted star. And uh, so 21 years later, he could be uh, there again uh, as a nominee. And, you know, I don't think there are many people the world over who would be upset about that. I mean, decent chance he'll win a Tony this year too, like that for Music Man. So that'd be a, a good year of Hugh Jackman narrative. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, wait, on, on the big star attack, and I don't know if this is going to be an Oscar thing, like the odds seem against it, but Ole Parker, director of Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, um, has One of the Tom 10 Hanks best and... movies of that year, according <laughs> yeah. to the <laughs> Listen, would <laughs> you go with your heart? Um, he's directing Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts in a comedy about a divorced couple that teams up and travels to Bali to stop their daughter from making the same mistake that they think they made 25 years ago. Um, I feel like I can see where this is going. It's got Caitlin Deaver and Billy Lord in it, and I don't know if that's like one of them is a daughter and the other is the like wife to be. I don't know what the plot is, but I'm, I'm going to watch it. I, I know I want to see that movie. They have to make up for Larry Crown. <laughs> that sounds like one of those movies <laughs> they don't make anymore. You know, like, yeah, big star driven, glossy trip comedy. Like that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. going to Bali is going to be like expensive and scenic. Just like <laughs> here we go again. Um, if we still I, had a Golden Globes, they'd be locks for nominees. <sighs> Critics' Choice Awards can make make that category happen. We are allegedly going to have a Golden Globes, right? Like, isn't wasn't that kind of they were taking a year off? Was the idea? I mean, who knows? I think right? So. Like, they don't. They 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 now have their own in house um, PR agency. They just sent out a list of updates. I think the other day. So they're they're full steam ahead, but a little down and out. One I thought was kind of interesting, and I kind of uh, have no idea how it's going to be positioned, because it does currently have a September release date listed, and of course those things can change, but a movie called The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. Gina Prince-Bythewood, speaking of narrative, seems like another person who feels like she's on the precipice of getting that kind of Oscar attention. Even, like, The Old Guard could not have been less of an Oscar-y movie, and yet there was such goodwill towards her when that Mm -hmm. movie came out on Netflix, and a lot of people really liked it. And, of course, it came out at a time where we weren't getting big movies, and it was a movie that we could watch at home and still felt like the kind of movie that you would see in a theater. Um, But this one stars uh, Viola Davis and uh, Tuso Mibudu, and it is a historical epic set in Western Africa, and... It feels like the kind of thing where if done well and if uh, promoted robustly, there's a lot of ingredients there that could really that could really hit. Obviously, Viola Davis is, you know, she's really in her Oscar prime, I think, at this point. After, mm. you know, Ma Rainey, I imagine she came decently close to winning. I mean, last year, uh, that year's Oscar race was so, you know, tightly contested anyway. Um, also, Lashana Lynch uh, in that cast. I just wanted to yes. show she was so great yeah, yeah. in No Time to Die. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very interested in this movie. The Woman King is a kind of movie that people have been clamoring for for a long time, which is like, it's a historical film set in Africa, but it's not colonialist. It's not about yeah. the sort of right. white gays coming into this this foreign country or this foreign exactly. land. Um, and it is interiorly about people from there. And I think that that's all too rare, you know, and to have it be done on this big studio epic scale, I think is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, you think about that and um, Black Panther 2 coming out later in the fall, like as kind of like the, the comic book version, the historical version of these, you know, non-colonial versions of African stories that we haven't seen. Um, that's exciting. Hopefully yeah. they both, you know, set a path forward. And Maria Bello is a producer. I'm just seeing. Mm. There we go. Huh. So, that's, you know, Oscar nominee story, Maria Bello. That's a story we'll have to get to the bottom of. <laughs> Um, well, I brought up Tom Hanks, but didn't talk about Elvis. Uh, Joe, oh, in your boy. spreadsheet, you put in the log line, it's about Elvis. I mean, <laughs> what, do you, what do you want from me? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a movie about Elvis. But which Elvis? Yeah. 
Well, well ha- you have Elvis to buy Stoico, a ticket to find I mean, out. Right, yes, it is the Elvis Stoico biopic that we've been waiting for forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I feel as weird about that trailer as anybody else, but, like, I can't not see something that the Baz Luhrmann makes. I think we, we might all be on the same page there. Yeah. Well, the rumor is that it's going to be at Cannes, right? And yeah. um, they confirmed Top the Gun today, but so this would be the other possibly out of competition, you know, kind of showcase uh, screening. And so it could be Rocket Man, where that movie gets good reviews but doesn't go anywhere. Uh, or it could be Bohemian Rhapsody, which was not at Cannes, but obviously won its lead at an Oscar. And I don't know, Austin Butler has been weirdly simmering for a little bit because of some well reviewed stage work and the Once Upon a Time the in Carrie Hollywood. Diaries? Uh, and uh, well, the Carrie Diaries, obviously, yes. Obviously, but, um, yes. He already won a Peabody for that, but <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so I think that narrative is interesting. I don't. It's still not clear to me who is actually the lead. There is the Elvis, like he's kind of in the background while it's Colonel Tom Parker, or whatever, like in the right. forefront. But either way, that feels a definite note. And if nothing else, Baz Luhrmann movies clean up in the craft categories mm-hmm. like it, it, they they show up there you look at something like the great gatsby and australia even got uh, craft category nominations and his movies are his you know the technical aspects of his movies are always very very well regarded so even if you know the movie itself doesn't land there are aspects of it that could end up being contenders but and, the australian that, nomination that was they used to have that best drover category and they don't have it <laughs> right right <laughs> Another movie destined to have directed itself by Baz Luhrmann. Oh, no, no. Absolutely. (laughs) What do we make of Ron Howard directing the the Thai Cave Rescue movie that was not nominated for Best Documentary this year, even though I thought uh, it would be um, the the rescue? But uh, I never quite know what to make of being excited for a Ron Howard movie when it comes to Oscars. This one, I think there was a lot of reporting when it started test screening that it played extremely well and they're they're giving it more of a campaign than they thought they were that's what i've heard so yeah 13 lives it's called i don't think i mentioned that but because after in the heart of the sea just like didn't exist right like what do you what do you anticipate from ron howard well and even rush like you know rush had been buzzed for among other things the daniel Daniel brule performance and that Mm -hmm. comes up just short that year well glenn close was nominated for hillbilly elegy <laughs> that is true. I always forget his uh that he directed because his last two movies were that and solo, right? Like on Ron Howard's IMDb. Oh yeah. no, In the Heart of the Sea happened after anyway. A very strange period for Ron Howard is what I'm saying. Yes. yes. And it got in for makeup, so he's coming yeah. off of a multi-Oscar nominated film. <laughs> <laughs> it's another one with Colin Farrell in the cast, although I have no idea how big his role is. Uh, Viggo Mortensen is the top build guy. I like your your like single issue voter when it comes to Oscar movies, and it's is it good for Colin Farrell? <laughs> is it good for Colin Farrell? Does it make me any money in the future? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I wanted to bring up another Colin. Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman are starring in Sam Mendes' movie, mm-hmm. yeah. Hour of Light. It's a love story. It's Searchlight Pictures. It's Roger Deakins as the DP. Um, so I'm curious to see what's, what that is like. I feel like if you have Olivia Coleman, you're already in the awards conversation. So we'll and see. And it's set at like a dilapidated movie theater, like Majestic style. Am I getting that tagline yeah. right? Yeah, Evidently. I think you are, yeah. Yeah. God, bringing up the majestic as, as a director <laughs> is yeah, kind of true. amazing. Um, we've been talking a lot about like kind of some studio films, so I, I want to go kind of deeper into the the indie stuff. And there's a lot of stuff on your spreadsheet. Um, there's this movie called Avatar Two. I knew you I'm were doing this. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> okay, I had this weird brain fart the other day. 
did Avatar win Best Picture? It didn't, right? No, no. <laughs> no. Third Third Locker won Best Picture. Okay. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow like, beat James Cameron. Did that yeah. happen? Um, but that, you know, you have LOL Joe next to the release date because, like, this movie has been in production for full me know, once for my yeah. whole life. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious about it. It's underwater. Or at least Kate Winslet is. I think she's still in that tank somewhere. I don't know, but um, that I don't. I don't know what to make of that. But like the last one was an Oscar film, so right. Uh, and you, you do know. not count out James Cameron. You just don't. Right. He, he will exceed your expectations every time. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just mad you brought it up instead of me. I'm very. I was gonna say. I can't believe that Kate would be <laughs> upset of the year. Excited yeah. for Avatar two. <laughs> Well, that's a movie. I, when I saw the first one, I walked out of the theater with a friend and I was like, well, that was amazing. And then like a week later, somehow it's just in my brain. I was like, that movie's stupid. And it's like, no, it's not. You loved it. Like, Speaking, though, of a uh, big Oscar nominated director back with his next movie, George Miller's got a new movie this year, which I'm very excited for. Uh, 3,000 Years of Longing with Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. That is currently, again, seemingly set for a May release. And is a fantasy romance, which sounds cool and not, you know, it does not seem like he's doing the Fury Road thing again. And yet it's George Miller. So I imagine Expect the Unexpected is uh, is on the table there. Yeah, that's thrilling. I'm loving how much romance there seems to be on this list. Yeah, yeah. actually. Romance. It's beautiful. Even the Ridley Scott Napoleon movie seems to be like, reading about it, it seems to focus a lot on his contentious relationship with his wife, played by Vanessa Kirby. It's Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon and Vanessa Kirby as uh, Josephine. And that at least has me intrigued, rather probably more so than if it was just like a Napoleon war epic on its own. So that one, I can't tell whether it's going to be called Napoleon or going to be called Kitbag. I've seen both. That's another what is, Apple. What does Kitbag mean? <laughs> Should I just Google this? It's like a, it's like a, um, I actually, I don't know. I'm not going to advance a <laughs> guess as to what a kit In bag a is. In think... we'll laugh that we never knew what a kit bag was. Right, exactly. I mean, I imagine if you're trying to market it effectively, they'll probably just call it Napoleon because calling yeah. it kit bag sounds insane. Um, well, speaking of romance, I wanted to give us a chance to talk about Sundance because we are fresh off of a Sundance winner winning Best Picture. Um, I don't know that it's – I don't see a coda out of this year's lineup, but the closest thing I would would be Good Luck to Leo Grand, the movie that will probably have another title by the time it comes out. Um, I really gonna... want Emma Thompson to get nominated for this. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was really wonderful in that movie, and the movie is, like, really charming and easy to watch but really bold the longer it goes on, and Emma Thompson is a huge part of that. Um I, you know, Searchlight has it. They know what to do with this kind of movie. So I, I don't want to pin too many high hopes on it. But other than that, from Sundance, like, do you guys see anything that we'll be talking about in a year? Um, on the narrative side, it's a, it's not the most... Yeah. There's no coda, for sure. Um, yeah. Bill Nye in um, Living, I thought he was really wonderful in that movie. And Sony Classics has it. So they are likely to work whatever magic they can for that movie. Um, yeah, he's wonderful in that. Although that is a very sort of quiet and deliberate movie yeah. in general. So it's going to be, I would be tough for that to grab attention, even though he is, like you say, like really fantastic in it. Yeah. He's someone who's never been nominated. So yeah. yeah. The thing that be. has me worried for good luck to you, Leo Grand is, is the Hulu of it all. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. It kind yeah. of seems like they're just putting it on Hulu in June. And mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah. know if that gets a theatrical release or whatever, but yeah, that does seem like the biggest Sundance one. I just reviewed a film called You Won't Be Alone um, that reviews on the site now that is, I think, incredible and was the best thing I saw at Sundance this year. Uh, it's out now. Tiny release from Focus. But um, 
I would love that to be in the um, international feature. It's um, Australian Macedonian, but I just feel like international feature. If you're if you're not at Cannes, like mm. good luck. Yeah, that category gets so competitive every year. Yeah. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I think we're getting close to where I need to wrap up um, because we could talk about the future forever. So I'm going to let everyone say, name one more title that they're excited about before I make you all predict the best picture winner. Um, so Joe is the guy to the list. You start. What's one more you want to shout out? Um, it's a Netflix movie. I have no idea whether it's going to be genre wise Oscars thing, but David Fincher's back with another movie he's reteaming with andrew kevin walker his screenwriter from seven which to me is very interesting mm. um it is a uh seemingly a psychological thriller about an assassin starring michael fassbender and tilda swinton which like you've got me you know what i mean like you, you, <laughs> you kind of already got me uh it's always tough to predict what the um you know order of priority will be for netflix but i imagine david fincher is is you know tops on their list in terms of people they want to keep happy. So I've definitely got my eyes on that one. All right, Richard, how about you? Uh, I am very curious about uh, Chevalier, uh, which I believe is with Searchlight. I believe it's by not, I mean, it's based on a true person uh, and it stars Kelvin Harrison Jr. Who is another person who has been simmering for a long time. It's directed by someone who worked on Watchmen, which obviously won every award possible. And, that just feels like something exciting for Harrison, who has, you know, he just did a, a period piece with um, Cyrano and was really charming in that and has just been good in everything he's been in. And, um, you know, he's a young actor, but he is increasingly feeling like he's due for that first round of real awardsy recognition. David, how about you? Uh, I actually don't think I saw it on the list, but I know it finished filming. Uh, it's Netflix's Rustin, which stars Coleman Domingo as the gay civil rights activist spared Rustin. Mm. Um, Coleman it, Domingo, he's popping. Coleman Domingo was so phenomenal in Zola and is a pretty extraordinary actor and has long deserved a showcase like this. It co-stars Chris Rock as Roy Wilkins, <laughs> um, as well as Glenn Turman, Audra McDonald. Um, Dustin Lance Black co-wrote the screenplay with George C. Wolfe, who also directs. George C. Wolfe directed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which got, as we know, a couple acting Oscar nominations. It's uh, produced by Barack and Michelle Obama's production company. It has a lot of ingredients that would seem to indicate it could be a big Oscar movie if it breaks out. And mainly, I'm just hoping that it gives Coleman Domingo an Oscar nomination because he is pretty extraordinary. Should have been nominated for Zola. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think we're... 
pro Colmo Domingo and Zola podcast here. Yeah. Um, all right, Rebecca, you get one more. Well, this movie does not need my um, promotion, but I am curious to see what happens with Black Panther. I mean, we know Marvel wants to be a part of the Oscar conversation, and um, the sequel, Wakanda Forever, is coming out this year. I think it's scheduled for November, and um, obviously this film is without Chadwick Boseman, but the first film was such a, a moment in film and um, got a Best Picture nomination along with a few others, so... I'm mostly just curious to see how this goes and if it is uh, part of the conversation this time around. Well, I'm going to take the less fun one, but I do think we have to mention that uh, Will Smith has a big Apple movie coming. Um, directed by Antoine Fuqua. <laughs> it's called Emancipation. It's about a runaway slave, a, a big historical drama. Um, I think it's a real open question about what's going to happen to that and how they'll promote it or if they will at all. And, you know, things are going to change by the day. But that's coming. Put it on your radar because something's going to happen with it. Okay. As we go in to make our predictions of what will win Best Picture in a year, which, to be clear, we have never gotten right, <laughs> um, does anyone have anything they have, like, a good feeling about? Like, are, are we doing—is it—does anyone have—feel like they're doing something other than throwing a dart at a board, which is certainly how I feel. I don't know how you guys do this every year. <laughs> you, you guess. This is you such a masochistic mission. <laughs> um. Does that mean you want to go first, Rebecca? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going with the first film I mentioned, which is Babylon, which is the Damien Chazelle— I'm throwing my dart in the dark at the board because, yeah. uh, you know, it's a Hollywood story from what we know. And apparently it's about the silent film era and the transition to talkies. And it's got a great cast and it's a talented filmmaker. So that's what I'm going to go with. Who wants to go next? I think that this past year was a good revving of the engines for this up-and-comer Steven Spielberg, and mm -hmm. I'm going to throw it to the Fablemans because it combines, I would imagine, his technical mastery, but because it's a deeply personal story, which in some ways Schindler's List was too, um, more about mm -hmm. his ancestors than himself. But like, yeah. I, I think that's where I would put my money right now. You took the one I was going to take, Richard. But I'm I think sorry. you're I think you're exactly on the right track where Steven Spielberg's movies have gotten a lot of Oscar nominations lately, but his has sort of run into the problem of how do you craft a narrative that like Steven Spielberg really needs an Oscar for this when mm -hmm. like he's had so much success and how do you make the case that West Side Story or Lincoln or whatever is special enough among the Spielberg, you know, filmography? to be awarded. And I think this is how this is if it's such an intensely personal story, that that's the narrative you could really run with with Spielberg to a win and rather than just, you know, a lot of nominations, and maybe like one or two wins in other categories. All right, well, Joe, uh, are you gonna pick the Fablemans? Or are you gonna pick something else? I mean, I was gonna pick the Fablemans. I will throw out just in the in the interest of us not having egg on our face. And who knows when we didn't mention Noah Baumbach's white noise. And I have no idea how that's gonna go. But I uh, just wanted to have that there for uh, clipping purposes next year in case. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna say Fablemans. I'm gonna say yeah. Okay. I'm going to take my huge swing and maybe let David close this out. We did not mention that Claire Denis has a movie coming from A24 that I'm assuming will be in English because it stars Margaret Qualley and Joe Alwyn. Um, but the logline is intriguing. In 1984's Nicaragua, a mysterious English businessman and a headstrong American journalist strike up a romance as they soon become embroiled in a dangerous labyrinth of lies and conspiracies and are forced to try and escape the country. So I'm going on the theory that every we are starting to get every year, an international auteur who suddenly everyone pays attention to. This year, it was uh, Raisuke Hamaguchi and Drive My Car, obviously, with Parasite and Bong Joon-ho. I think Claire Denis could have that moment. She's been making acclaimed work for decades. Um, and 
maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will be Claire Denis' year. I'm picking the stars at noon. Maybe it'll have a new title by next year when I listen to I this. I love that. David, close us out. <sighs> I'm, I'm between a couple. Um, I think I'm going to go with Killers of the Flower Moon. I think the book gives a good indication of how the movie could play on a preferential ballot, which is to say Martin Scorsese tends to make brilliant movies, which don't always translate to Best Picture wins. But I do think this one has the combination of the kind of weight and that kind of moral art uh, that could play very well. Um, so if he pulls it off as well as I'm hoping and thinking, and we know Apple can take a movie all the way, I think it can do it. I want to predict a Best Actress nomination for Lily Gladstone. That feels oh. like a really strong narrative that could come out of that. Because that, having read the book, that's a, that could be a really good part if they frame the movie around her as much as they And should. a Jesse Plemons upgrade to lead acting. Yeah! I mean, again, Jesse Plemons will be in your Best Picture nominee one way or another. So it's just whatever he picks <laughs> is going to get there. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts? Are we excited? After this conversation, I always feel like we have the most thrilling year of film ahead of us. I'm so excited. I like just like it's every year we, I would just look at this list of movies and just be like, I want to see all of them immediately. <laughs> but okay. I should pace myself. We should pace ourselves. Yes. Well, well, I'll see you at the Scotiabank Theater in Toronto to see oh, at, least, God at least a strong number of these. Yeah. That does it for this week's show and our annual year ahead Oscar predictions. We hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoy doing it and um, enjoy shaming ourselves from a year previous. Um, you can find us at VanityFair.com. Joe is writing about this rundown of, um, of films for us this year. So you'll be able to read more about it and maybe some titles we didn't manage to get to. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Little Gold Men and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylos. And David. David Canfield 97. And Rebecca. Becca M. Ford. And Joe. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Reed, and you can find my podcast, This Had Oscar Buzz, at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Yeah, this podcast is a very good uh, companion piece to, how to, to This Had Oscar Buzz, I think. We set them up and then you, <laughs> we set them up here, and then my other podcast knocks them down. Yeah. What, exactly. What's like the big one from 2021 that you guys want to cover? Oh God! What? Uh, well, everybody, everybody wants us to make an exception for House of Gucci, but uh, we're mm. not going to do that. And then wow. the one that we're sort of is going to be the big one is probably going to be in the Heights, and I'm just going to, you know, yeah. uh, yell it's just you weeping for, for an hour. Uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, you can also sign up to text with us at joinsubtext.com/littlegoldmen or text two one three five one three seven zero three five. We've loved hearing from you about the Oscars and everything else, so keep it coming. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, who handled this amazingly complicated production of this episode in the flashback. So this week's award for yet another reason why we rely so much on Brett Fuchs goes to Joe Reed. The Oscar voters just really like him. The Run Through Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um... We should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. We support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Right> nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Shield being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are. AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter okay. 
I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mel. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's a walk. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>